Good morning. It's great to see. Ooh, that's, that was strong. <laughs> For a group of socially distanced people, that was strong. Um, you would never know. My name is Jerome. I'm the, the, the lead pastor here. If you are a guest with us, you probably don't know that unless you check this out online. But the rest of you who call Radiant Home, you know that. And so uh, just want to say welcome to you, a special welcome to you. We have something called a connection card. It's on your seat. Those who call Radiant Home, they fill that out and drop it in the offering. We used to take the offering by passing a basket, but now we receive it as we exit. There's ushers at the doors with the basket. So if you would take that and fill that out, give us a chance to say thanks for being our guest. That would be awesome. Um, I'm trying to find the certain point where I'm going to pray and we're going to transition into a sermon, but I got a couple things I'd like to share first of all. You saw the advertisements, uh, the promo for the women's simulcast. We had a number of you sign up last week. It's a strong group who's going to attend that here. It's going to be beamed in. It's going to be a great time. And when that happens, that weekend that it happens, Dinners on Us is our outreach to our community that uh, during this COVID time, we've, we've done every single Friday rather than just once a month. And so um, there's a group of guys and women and men who, who, who serve that. We rotate different workers in. But on the uh, August 7th, when that weekend happens, uh, we need some guys to step up to allow as many women to be part of that simulcast as possible. I'm going to be there. There's going to be some women. I don't think we have to cook. We just have to, like, serve. Right, Lorana? Anyways, if you're, interested, if you're interested in stumbling around the kitchen with me, it'll be great. It'll be fun. I don't know how effective it will be, but uh, just needed four or five other guys to help out with dinners on us that week. It's going to be the guys' day. We should do steak. Anyway. Oh, no vegetables. If it's this. No, anyway. Um, another thing I'd like to, to mention is, you know, I've said time and time again over the last few months how generous and faithful you are. You're giving to the Lord. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about missions, but uh, we've been made aware of some real pressing needs and some missions partnerships that are very near and dear to our heart, uh, NRN in Nicaragua, uh, as well as, uh, you know, Uganda. So uh, the missions committee has talked. You're going to receive some information this week about opportunities to give to those, a special, like, COVID-related offering for those ministries, and everything you give will we'll send that direction uh, regarding our, our partners in Nicaragua and in Uganda. So um, check your email inbox this week. I'm about to pray, but I'm going to do one more thing. Because I'm trying to figure out if this belongs in the sermon or not. Um, I, I, I'm able to laugh at myself. You know that, right? Okay, so if um, about 10 minutes before service, no, 20 minutes before service, I realized I left my shoes at home. Like I woke up this morning and ironed a shirt. And I have a dress pants and a shirt in my office for next week, because I realized I was wearing shorts and t-shirts and flip-flops, and I went home and had to grab some shoes, and I ended up just throwing this on. So if you are offended by a polo, you might be in the wrong church, but if you are, offend <laughs> if you are offended by a polo, don't worry, I'm only going to offend you worse during this sermon. So um, <laughs> no, really, I could laugh at myself, and something happened last week that uh, I love working with the staff that God has brought here to Radiant. And you know that you're loved when they um, make a meme out of you or something. So at my request, I offer you this highlight from last week's sermon. Listen to this quote. He who has not beheld this celebration has never seen joy in his life. Man, there was music. There was dancing. It said that men of piety were dancing. So it's like the dignified men were like... <laughs> Thank you.
Now I'm offended. No, I'm just kidding. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the, the privilege that we have to come together, to laugh together, to sing, to worship, to turn our attention to you. And in these next few moments, as we look to your word, Lord, we, we look to the revelation of yourself to us, who you are, your character and your nature, and what it means to follow after you. God, today I pray that you would speak to us, to each of us in this room, and no matter where we may be, those who have walked for, with you for a long time and others who are considering what it, may, what it might be to walk with you, to call on you. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I was so eager to show you that video that I forgot to mention. You, many of you know the governor has made a, a mask mandate. That's something else that will show up in your e email box. I have the mandate right here, printed it out in nine-inch font or whatever that is. It's too small to read. But uh, I, uh, we are, we are going to get back to you this week and exactly what to expect next week and moving forward during uh, this uh, face mask order. So I told you I'd offend you more. So listen, I'm going to make this next comment, but it has nothing to do with face masks, okay? you gotta, you got to separate these things. Um, I'm an American. I love this country. My dad served in the military as a career military guy. I grew up with nuclear warheads just down the street inside of submarines and, and fighter jets flying overhead. So when I say this, you can be offended, but no, it's coming from somebody that loves this country. Um, here it is. I told you I was going to offend you, right? I'm convinced as I look at Scripture and what God wants us to do and to be that at times, our American culture and our values, which absolutely shape how we see the world and how we approach our faith, at times they are an absolute obstacle to what God really wants for us and from us. If you're offended, let me continue. See, we live in a country that was founded where we fought for our freedom. The Declaration of Independence, we declared that thing, life, liberty, and the pursuit. I take my family to Washington, D.C. I, I need to bring them to Philadelphia so they can see this document, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that shapes how we approach our faith, more so, if you stop and think about it, than other believers around the world who don't have that American context, or at different times in, in human history who live or lived under different realities. We want autonomy. We want independence. We want freedom. I'm, I do too. But at times, if I'm not careful, it can be an obstacle to what God wants for me. There was a recent study a couple years ago that talked about why people chase after power, why people pursue power. And it really wasn't what we often think. People want power because they want to yield, they want to wield power over other people. Really, people pursue power oftentimes because they want autonomy. More than influence over others, more than control of others, they wanted to have control over themselves. And the people who seem like they're chasing power do it because it's far more visible than autonomy, and there is an unspoken you know, celebration of their own autonomy. If they are in charge, then obviously they can do what they want to do. But it was really about that. We desire as humans, Americans, but as humans in general, we, we want control. But if we look at the Bible and we see 
what biblical freedom is, if we see what Scripture says about freedom, that we find that it's not oftentimes what we think we have the right to. We think we have the right to do whatever we want to make, whatever we want to make us happy, happy. That wasn't a good sentence. We want to be able to do what we want that will make us what we think will make us happy, right? Am I true? Is that true? Is that how we define freedom? The ability to do what we want in pursuit of happiness. But the problem is the Bible knows us. The Bible knows that what we desire, when we do what we want to do, it doesn't actually bring us happiness, right? The Bible teaches that our desires are corrupt. So what then is this freedom that Jesus speaks about in the passage today that we're going to look at? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8. As you know, we've been going through a series on the, on the, on the book of John, and we left off with Jesus on the the Feast of Tabernacles, and all these people are gathered celebrating this feast in Jerusalem, and a number of things have taken place during that time. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, which is verse 31. But before we do that, let me remind you where we left off last week, which was verse 30. Jesus has this exchange with those who would oppose him, who question him, and it says in verse 30, then many who heard him say these things believed in him. And we walked out last week going, oh, that's cool. The crowd is finally believing. Interesting how the next verse starts. Then Jesus said to the people who believe in him, and really, I think believe in him should be in quotes here. Because what we're about to see is the people who believe in him, Jesus calls them out for really not truly believing. Read with me, starting in chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But are the descendants, oh, but here's their objection. But we are the descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean we will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are, my, you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are, in, 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 you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. Guess what? We're going to probably come back to that right there in a few moments. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, and they, obviously, they want to murder him. He, was, he, was always, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But when I tell you the, So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens, God listens gladly to the words of God. 
but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, you Samaritan devil. Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? <laughs> no, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is glorifying me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, now we know we are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophet died, but you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I want to glory for myself, it doesn't count. But if my father who will glorify me, or, but it is my father who will glorify me, you say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I say otherwise, I would be a great liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced and looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, before Abraham was even born, I am. I mentioned this last week, but when he says I am, he's identifying there. with God revealing himself to Moses in the burning bush, and they know it. So the next verse says, at that point they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. So what we have here is a long passage, but let me just step back to where we began in this passage. This idea that truth brings freedom. The people who believed in Jesus, Jesus reveals that they really don't believe that their belief, like we've seen throughout the book of John, is really kind of fickle. He separates disciples from, from those who are fickle disciples, the genuine disciples, the false faith of these people, this crowd, from true faith. Now, throughout what we've just read, we see Jesus reveals that they're not truly followers. Or they don't really believe because just, he says a number of things. First of all, they're slaves to sin. That was verse 34. They're indifferent to Jesus' words, verse 37. They're children of the devil, verse 44. They are liars, verse 55, and they're a murderous mob, verse 59. We just read all that. There's a number of things here that Jesus, in their exchange, shows that their belief is really not belief. The Greek word of what it means to be a believer is, is uh, he said that those who re remain, abide, the word in your Bible might be hold on to Jesus' teaching. That's what separates someone who believes from a, a real disciple of Jesus, a genuine believer remains in Jesus' teaching, obeying it, seeking to understand it, and treasuring it, and then living a life that's in alignment with it. And what's the result? Look at the end of verse 32. What's the result of being a true believer? Freedom. And so what, what happens next is they object. And in their objection, they already show that they can't submit to Jesus' teaching. They can't remain and abide and hold on to the teaching of Jesus because they're already trying to find ways to justify themselves. But, but we're children of Abraham. What do we need to be freed from? We, we're not under slavery, which is ironic because they're already under Roman rule, but, but ignoring that little fact, they're saying we're not slaves to anybody. So Jesus goes on and begins to unpack this freedom First of all, and let me, give, let me give you a quick bird's eye view of this passage because we can't go verse by verse and break things down. Otherwise, we'll be here till three in the afternoon. Bird's eye view. For the next few verses, 31 through 47, 
Jesus addresses the believers by showing them, the believers, by showing them that they're not true believers because of their response to his teaching. He explains what it means to, to be free from slavery and what, kind of, what slavery he's talking about. And then he debunks their, their appeal to the lineage of Abraham. He says this, he says, they say, our father is Abraham. You know what he says? You're following the advice of your true father. He hasn't told him who his true father is. And then they say, well, our father is Abraham. You're imitating your true father. And then they say we're illegitimate children, which is weird because Jesus never said they were illegitimate children. Where'd that come from? Very likely it came from the fact that they knew and they were trying to discredit Jesus by being born of a virgin. She was pregnant before she was wed. They're kind of throwing, they're, they're throwing some shade at Jesus and his mom. We're not illegitimate children like you. And Jesus says, yeah, your true father, your real father is the devil. And then Jesus, in verse 45 and forward, the theological debate that we had, now it becomes a personal attack against him. Not that it wasn't already in a personal attack. They call him a Samaritan and that he's demon-possessed. Now, let me stop and, and point out one verse that I stopped when I was reading it, and it was verse 44. Chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus says, your father is the devil, has been, a, I'm going to be honest with you, is a verse that's been abused and used uh, as a reasoning for or an excuse for anti-Semitism, and that's not what Jesus means right here. But you'll be surprised. It's worth the Google. You'll be surprised how people abuse this verse, how people take it out of context and run with it. Do you guys remember a couple years ago there was a synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh? The guy who did that had this verse quoted on his social media like as an intro page. That's not what Jesus means. As a matter of fact, the people who take this verse out of context and run with it, they're ignoring the fact that Jesus himself says stuff like salvation comes from the Jews. Or how about the fact that Jesus is a Jew or John is a Jew or all of Jesus' followers are Jewish? There's, there's something here that's... that's Jesus is speaking, well, we'll get there. Can I just say real quick, remember the, the, what we're reading now. We're reading a book written by the Apostle John. He's credited with the, being the author in the late first century, towards the end of his life, decades after the church existed, and decades after the temple was destroyed in AD 70. When the temple was destroyed in AD 70, the, 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 the Jewish world was thrown into chaos. There was uncertainty religiously, there was confusion socially. People were asking, where do we go from here? And John writes this to an audience, very likely Jewish or Jewish proselytes, those who, had very, who were very familiar with, with like the, fest, the feasts and, and the traditions and the customs of Judaism. He writes it to them to say, you want to know where to go from here? Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the light, right? You know this. My wife is telling me I need to slow down. You're allowed to laugh. Or you could just not laugh. <laughs> and now you laugh. <laughs> Disobedient church. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I told you I'm going to offend you today. Listen. So anyways, a couple weeks ago, I stepped down off the platform. Did I tell you this already? And my wife had this sign that said slower. Uh, and after we went home, I was like, yeah, I never saw you flash that sign at me. And she goes, I never did. I didn't have to. She goes, I just write it when I first walk in the door because I know that if I need it, I need to have it ready to go. So who is it that Jesus, what does Jesus mean by your, your, real, your true father, your real father is Satan? 
Let's go back to verse 34. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Not just the Jews are a slave to sin, but everyone. The child of Satan is those who are slaves to sin, which is just the Jews? No, it's everyone. It is aimed at all humanity. All humanity is enslaved to sin. We are born into it. Can I stop here? And, and, and I think sometimes in church when we are pretty good at being good because we've been in this thing a long time, we kind of define sin as those very visual things that, people, that are very obvious, those things that people see, the people, things that we don't do like we used to do. Like we define it by like actions, actions of others. See, sin is not just the, the doing wrong things. It's the, what's, what stands behind the doing wrong things. It's something deeper that leads us to do those things. It's not just a matter of actions. It's a matter of what, res, what resides in our hearts. And what resides in our hearts is what we act on. So the slavery that we have to sin is the power that's inside of us, which is we are born sinful as a result of the fall. And so if the Son sets you free, you are really free. Jesus uses this metaphor of a household. He is the son in the father's house. And the son in the father's house has the, the authority and the right to set slaves free. Jesus is the one who does that. Set us free from sin. Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about how we have been set free from sin. Now this is the apostle Paul after Jesus dies and is, res is resurrected. So it's after what we're reading in, in, in the narrative of Jesus' life. Paul talks about being set free from sin. And we're going to read a little bit from Romans chapter 6 here in a second. But what's funny is in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about, I do things that I hate doing and I don't do the things I want to do. Well, wait a minute, Paul. What about being free from slavery? What about the slavery to sin? I mean, what, what is he, is he contradicting himself? What, is, what does he mean here? He means we are set free from the power of sin. We will continue to sin. We are still in transition. We are still being transformed in the image of Christ. We are still in formation but we have been set free from the power of sin. We've been set free from its rule over our life. What's its rule over our life look like? Let me give you two D words. Another opportunity for me to offend you. Sin rules over our life through domination and damnation. Sin will dominate you and it will damn you. Let's look at this. How does sin dominate us? It produces desires that are contract, contrary to God's desires for our life. It's contrary to his will. It, it makes those desires seem so much greater that I want what I want far greater than what God wants for me. In fact, I want what I want more than I want God. There's sin. It doesn't have to be the big obvious sins that we don't do anymore because we've been Christians a long time. It's the things that reside in our heart, the anger, the jealousy, the competitiveness, the envy, things that we're, we do a better job of hiding. It, we, sin will dominate our life, but Jesus sets us free from that domination. He sets us free from damnation too. Listen, sin enslaves us because eventually, without being rescued, without someone intervening from the slavery that we're in, we find ourselves in hell. And I have to say that because some people are like, well, you know what? I'm okay 
with desiring things more than Jesus. That sounds like freedom to me, doesn't it? I could, I could choose to do that. But that's, that's really slavery to sin, just masquerading as freedom. So how does Jesus set us free from the domination and damnation of sin? He frees us because of his work on the cross. There's something that we call substitutionary atonement, that Jesus is a substitute who dies in our place. This is from the damnation. This is, we are justified with his work on the cross. What does justification mean? It means he's made us right. He's made us righteous. That's like the legal term. But there's a relational term called reconciliation. Jesus doesn't just, doesn't just make us right legally to stand before God. He makes us right relationally. He reconciles us to God. And he frees us from the domination of sin by changing our nature, which is another work on the cross. There's something that takes place because of what Jesus did on the cross that when we put our faith in him, besides these fancy words, regeneration, justification. There's another word. No, I already said justification and reconciliation. There's regeneration, the new birth being made new. So we are made righteous, we're made right, and we're, now we are made new. And it's being made new where he breaks that power that sin has for us. We used to be sinners, but now we are saints who sin. So being justified, reconciled, regenerated, frees us from the, the domination and the damnation of sin. That is what being free really looks like a freedom that whatever earthly sense of freedom we think we have or we chase after falls well short of. Let me read what Paul says, because here's the hard part about this freedom that Christ gives us. It doesn't feel free. I know sometimes people think of the Christian life as like this great burden of to do's and the don'ts, and that sounds nothing like freedom. But those who walked with the Lord know the joy of this freedom we have in Christ, but yet from the outside looking in, it looks, and we tell people, it's not this burden of religion, and it's not. But yet, you read something like this, and you say, boy, are you sure? Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 6, I referenced it earlier. Well, then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, doesn't that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whoever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. We just traded one slavery for another. Keeps going, verse 20 in Romans chapter 6. When you were slaves of sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You were now ashamed of the things you used to do things that ended in eternal doom, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. See, true freedom, the question that we asked when we started this message, true freedom is being a slave to Jesus Christ, orienting, orienting your life around him, where he is what we treasure. He is what defines how we interact with the world that he's called us and placed us in. And I realize the word slave is, is a terrible word that we push back on. How offensive. 
Doesn't sound fair, does it? It's not fair that God would make us a slave. But we were bought by the blood of Jesus. These are the words we use, right? Scripture talks about it. Doesn't sound fair that we're a slave, but aren't you glad that God's not fair? Because if God was fair, he could have left us in our sin. If God was fair, he could have left us to die in our sin. He could have left us dominated and damned because of our sin. Thank God he's not fair. That he made a way to set us free from slavery. And can I just tell you, I know 20% of the world was slaves during the time of the New Testament when John was writing this. So you think, well, maybe that word slave wasn't offensive. And quite honestly, in some of your Bibles and, and throughout history, they've tried to curb that word slave and said, we're servants of Christ. But they, the, the original language talks about slaves of Jesus Christ. Your life is not your own. You were bought with the price. 20% of the world was slaves back in the day when, when this was written. But you know what? It was just as offensive back then as it was now. Paul knew it, the Holy Spirit who inspired him knew it, but that's the word he uses because that's the word that defines the relationship that Christians have with Christ. True freedom is being a slave to Christ. And you would say, well, I don't want to be a slave, but if you are a Christian, you already are. You've been bought with a price. He's bought you. So what do we do? I tell you I was going to offend you today. You guys want to see that funny video again, I know. It was a whole lot easier to show you the video because I was up here going, these people like me. Then you get preach a sermon like this and you're like, these people don't like me. I don't know that I like me. I didn't write this, guys. But God defines, my opening prayer was God revealed to us who you are and what it means to follow after you. And here's what he means to follow after him. Our life is not our own. What it means is that we, we embrace and we celebrate our dependence on God. He does change our desires because my, I don't have what it takes to change my desires to be what he desires for me. We can't fix our sin issue. He already has done that. But we have to depend on his Holy Spirit to continue the work of transforming us. See, we as Christians live between the already done and not yet finished. He has already defeated victory, or defeated victory. He has already defeated sin and death. He has already won the victory, but yet we continue to sin and we continue to die, right? He's already declared us righteous, but yet we continue to be unrighteous as we wait for what he is yet to do when he returns. Oh, I was just making sure, like, I just said when he returns and you just never know, like, I was about to go kneel down in my chair and Lord, don't leave me behind. No, listen. I have a point that when I was driving here the second time. I was actually on 161st Street. And I never see the parking lot because I'm always like in the building wall before you get here and I'm always out of the building after you guys leave. And I saw these cars and I thought, boy, 
these people showed up to hear God's word and that's my task today and that's very humbling. Because preaching is not about giving you like cool facts about the Bible. It's about speaking to your life from scripture. And today if you're like Jerome, I, I believe in Jesus and I, but I, this is, I don't have notes for this. You have to let me stumble through this, huh? But if you would say, I feel like maybe sin continues to dominate me. Can I just say, Jesus has already won that victory. He, he has broken the power of sin in your life. But you're still in process. You still look to him. See, our sin issue is not an issue that we, so much that we can't do what's right. It's not that we have an inability to do right. It has, it's an, our inability is an inability to love right because we do what we love. And as God transforms your heart, as you walk in what God has accomplished for you, now there are tools, there are, there are things you can do. There are accountable relationships. There are, there are different things we can do to help but our job is not to manage our sin. He has already taken care of it, but we need to depend on him. We need his spirit. We need his transformation in our life. If you're sitting there thinking, man, I, I feel like I'm still dominated. Our, at the very end of the service, our elders will come up and they'll pray with you. If you'd like someone to pray with you. Sometimes confession is an amazing first step and living up to what God has already said is true of you, free from the power of sin. Let me throw one other, one other, one other I gotta do one last offensive thing before this is done since I'm gonna try to concentrate all the offense to this week. As you navigate these difficult and uncertain days of living in a pandemic, racial tension, very polarizing politics, which trickle down into your homes and your workplaces and even your church. As a slave of Jesus Christ, your task is to apply the Bible to your heart before you apply the Constitution to anybody else. I'm not saying don't appeal to the Constitution, you, you, that's fine but don't do it until you apply the Bible to your heart. If you're not a Christian today, I normally in this part, part of my sermon kind of describe what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, but that's been the whole sermon. He truly sets us free. There is a freedom And there's an invitation to that freedom. When he, it's an invitation to, to believe and to call on Jesus, God in the flesh, who walked amongst his creation, and lived a life that we could not live and died a death in our place for our sins on our behalf to free us from sin.
with any invitation, there's an opportunity to believe, to accept or not. I say this a lot, oftentimes, our elders are also coming up, they'll pray with you, but I kind of convinced that you don't come up to pray to receive Jesus unless you already kind of receive him in your seat. There's no hoops to jump through. That's something that shifts in your heart where you cross that line of faith. If you do that today, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, to celebrate with you and we'd love to walk alongside you as we end this service. The late um, preacher R.C. Sproul says this, and this is what I'm going to end on. The only freedom that man, has ever, that man ever has is when he becomes a slave to Jesus Christ. The only freedom that we ever have. Slavery is a weird thing to talk about and to a church full of people that, you know, we don't live in that place in the world. We don't live in that time. And I know there's, but really we don't. to a group of people that love their independence and love their freedom and love their autonomy. True freedom is found as being slaves of Jesus. Your life is not your own and you've been bought with a price and it doesn't seem fair, but thank God he's not fair. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that, like your word says, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for whoever believes will inherit eternal life here in this this room are people who have put our trust and our hope in you the overwhelming majority who have found freedom and yet We've kind of counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. That there is a trading of one type of slavery to another. That our life is not our own, that we've been bought with a price. We push back on that idea. We, it sounds offensive and it sounds unfair, but God, I pray that you would help us to see the great joy, the great joy and the great freedom just what that looks like. That we would know a freedom far greater than the freedom that we enjoy as Americans. We would know a freedom in you as slaves of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.